Exodus chapter 21. This will be our last Exodus service sermon in the morning, at least for some time. We finish Acts tonight, Lord willing, and then next Sunday morning we will begin Philemon and put Exodus to the evening. Exodus 21. We'll start at verse 12. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place where he may flee. But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him with guile, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. He who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He who kidnaps a man and sells him, or if he is found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. And he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. If men contend with each other, and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist, and he does not die but is confined to his bed, if he rises again and walks about outside with his staff, then he who struck him shall be acquitted. He shall only pay for the loss of his time and shall provide for him to be thoroughly healed. And if a man beats his servant or his maidservant with the rod so that he dies under his hand, he shall surely be avenged. Notwithstanding, if he remains alive a day or two, he shall not be punished, for he is his property. If men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no lasting harm follows, he shall surely be punished accordingly as the woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe. Stripe. And if a man strikes the eye of his servant or the eye of his maidservant and destroys it, he shall let him go free for the sake of his eye. And if he knocks out his servant's tooth or his maidservant's tooth, he shall let him go free for the sake of his tooth. If an ox gores a man or woman to death, then the ox shall surely be stoned, and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be acquitted. But if the ox tended to thrust with its horn in times past, and it has been made known to his owner, and he has not kept it confined so that it has killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and its owner also shall be put to death. There is imposed on him a sum of money, and he shall pay to redeem his life whatever is imposed on him. Whether it is gored a son or gored a daughter, according to this judgment, it shall be done to him. If the ox gores a manservant or a maidservant, he shall give to their master thirty shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned." And if a man opens a pit, or if a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls in it, the owner of the pit shall make it good. He shall give money to their owner, but the dead beast shall be his. If one man's ox hurts another so that it dies, they shall sell the live ox and divide the money from it, and the dead ox they shall also divide. Or if it was known that the ox tended to thrust in time past, and its owner has not kept it confined, he shall surely pay ox for ox, and the dead beast shall be his own." The word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would reveal your righteousness to us in these laws of justice and piety. Help us to see your character and to live as your covenant people. We thank you that those in covenant with you are protected by your justice. And we ask that you would help us to live today as your covenant people. Free us from distraction, focus our minds, quiet our hearts, 
Drive your word deep into our hearts. The words of the wise are like nails firmly fixed. And we pray that your word would be that in our hearts today. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Well, the passage before us sounds by turns archaic, barbaric, and spot on, depending on the verses. One of the commentators, the Wesleyan, actually said about verses 20 and 21 that no one would miss these verses if they had been omitted from the Bible. And sometimes I think all of us cringe a little bit when we read, it's okay to beat your slave to death because you own him, which is what it seems that Moses is saying. So what are these laws here for? Some of the scenarios seem rather far-fetched. Who's going to stone an ox? Really? You better have a big crew and some heavy stones if you're going to start that business. Others of the scenarios seem, well, evil, like beating slaves to death. What is the point here? Remember, this is the book of the covenant. This is God bringing the laws of the Ten Commandments down into the nitty-gritty of everyday life and saying, in less than ideal scenarios, here's how you keep my laws. When things are already in a bad way, you can still keep the Ten Commandments. So, in this section, we have primarily precepts of justice where God gives essentially three major principles of justice. Death penalty for crimes targeting human life, Proportional restitution for violent accidents and proportional justice for negligence. So deliberate targeting of human life demands the death penalty. Violent accidents and negligent accidents demand proportional restitution. God protects human life through human justice. God protects human life for those who are in covenant with him. And he does it through human justice, which he describes and defines in this passage. The first section is about crimes targeting human life. In verses 12 through 17, all end with the refrain, he shall be put to death, except verse 13, or he shall die. Because God is reminding us that the basic principle here is what it starts with, he who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. Any crime of manslaughter demands the death penalty. Now God immediately adds a qualification for that. The death penalty is only for premeditated murder. Second degree murder, manslaughter, accidental death, or wrongful death, these lesser kinds of, of accident or these lesser kinds of manslaughter do not demand the death penalty. They can be commuted to a fine or in some cases you can simply run away and hide in the, the sanctuary city, which is worked out in detail later on in the Pentateuch and then in the book of Joshua. You're told, here are cities, they're all over the land, you can go. If you kill someone accidentally, if it's a negligent death, an accidental death, if it's manslaughter, it's not murder, you can flee, and there's a whole institutional structure set up to prevent people from being wrongfully executed. In these days, remember, this is the Bronze Age. The state is not evolved to the point where it can monopolize violence. And if you accidentally killed someone, you didn't look over your shoulder for the cops, you looked over your shoulder for that guy's brother or son or uncle or nephew 
who would say, you killed my father, prepare to die. And then would come and try to beat you to death or kill you right in the middle of your field or wherever he found you. God said, there are these sanctuary cities where the city administration will protect you. And there's also a sanctuary at the altar, which is mentioned in verse 14. If you commit first degree murder and then you run and grab the altar and say, don't kill me, sanctuary. God says, get that guy and drag him off the altar and slaughter him. The principle is clear. Crimes targeting human life demand the death penalty. First degree murder requires life for life. So the death penalty is on the wane worldwide. Few countries use it anymore. But that is in opposition to the clear teaching of the Word of God. So God lists a number of capital crimes here. Life for life, well, there's a few capital crimes. The first one is striking your father or your mother. Or even, verse 17, cursing your father or your mother. These are capital crimes. Now, right away that brings up a question, how? Why? Clearly the principle of justice, as outlined very clearly in verses 23 through 25, is life for life. To curse your parents, or even to punch their lights out, is not life for life. You didn't take their life. And so, how can you be on the hook for your own life? The short answer is that this is not a precept of justice. This is a precept of piety. You can try to translate it into terms of justice and say, well, you owe your parents so much that even to curse them requires that you get the death penalty, but it really doesn't work. It is not a law of justice. That is, on the horizontal level. It is a law of piety saying... Your relationship to your parents is like, is analogous to your relationship to God. Even the smallest sin is worthy of eternal punishment. Even the smallest sin is a capital sin. So not all crimes are capital crimes. All sins are capital sins, including this sin of dishonoring father and mother or striking father and mother. So, if you notice the end of this section, uh, Exodus 22, verse 20, it says, He who sacrifices to any god except the Lord only shall be utterly destroyed. So, the first commandment is, violation of the first commandment is punished with death. The first commandment starts the first table, commandments 1 through 4. The fifth commandment starts the second table, commandments 5 through 10. And the fifth commandment here is mentioned as incurring the death penalty, violations of the fifth commandment. As if God is saying, whether you violate the first table or the second table, that's a capital sin. That's a sin that deserves death. So, justice is founded on piety. That is, if you don't fear and serve God, you will never keep the precepts of justice in these chapters. Justice begins with piety, and piety begins with your relationship to your parents, honoring father and mother. Right? Psychologically speaking, those who have not learned to honor father and mother, who have not learned to attach to them, are pretty much incapable of learning to honor God and attach to Him, barring 
supernatural intervention. And thus, God says clearly, the piety that defines a right relationship to me is the only thing that can deliver you from the death you deserve. All of us have talked back to our parents and dishonored them verbally. Maybe only as little children. God is essentially starting this section by saying, you're all on the hook. You all deserve to die. So as you administer the death penalty, as you administer justice, just remember, you're not righteous people cracking down on the unrighteous. You're not the good guys capturing the bad guys and bringing them to justice. You're all bad guys. Don't read this from the perspective of I'm the righteous. Read it from the perspective of I too deserved capital punishment and it's been commuted or it's been put on someone else. That's, you know, we actually have that later on. Uh, verse 29, the ox, if you knew your ox was going to kill people and you let it run free, then that's the death penalty. Except the next verse says that's automatically commuted to a fine. But nonetheless, right, it is the death penalty, even though the sentence is automatically commuted, it's still a capital crime to let your murderous animal roam free. As if God is saying, this is how valuable human life is. So aside from harming parents, the other thing that makes the list here of capital crimes is kidnapping a man, selling a man, or enslaving a man. He who kidnaps a man, the one who sells him, the one who is found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. God is saying... Human liberty is as valuable as life itself. In terms of the principle of justice, life for life, if you take someone's liberty, that's equivalent to you taking their life. So we can say with certainty, based on this verse alone, aside from everything we talked about last week, that the slave system of the Old South here in the United States could never have been done by people who were serious about obeying the law of God. Man-stealing is out, so there's no way to get the slaves in the first place. Selling is out, so there's no way to have slave auctions. Holding them is out, so there's no way to transport slaves anywhere. All of these things are forbidden utterly by the law of God, not just as property crimes, but as capital crimes, crimes against life. So that's the the first principle of justice. Crimes that target human life or human liberty in an enslavement situation deserve and demand the death penalty. Don't be squeamish about the death penalty. Yes, there's high standards of evidence and so on elsewhere in the Pentateuch, but the death penalty is in fact just for those who deliberately kill or enslave other people. Uh, Secondly, the second major principle of justice here is proportional restitution for violent accidents. And God describes basically five different kinds of violent accidents. First kind is classic bar fight or whatever kind of fight you want it to be. They're fighting. One guy gets hurt bad enough that he goes to bed and he's there for a few days. The other guy is on the hook to pay the first guy's medical bills and for his lost time. God doesn't say you shall not fight, but he does say if you do fight and if you put the other one out of commission... You're on the hook for his lost time and his medical bills. 
There's no criminal penalty, but there is a civil penalty of paying the expenses, paying for the lost time. So, again, the principle is clear. Restitution makes so much more sense than saying, oh, you hurt somebody badly in a fight, you go to jail for 30 days. How does that help the guy who was hurt in the fight? Paying for his medical care actually does help him. Then the, the infamous verses. If a man beats his servant or maid servant with the rod so that he dies under his hand, he shall surely be avenged. Notwithstanding, if he remains alive or day or two, day or two he shall not be punished, for he is his property. Where does this command come from? Well, we talked last time about debt slavery, the origin of the vast majority of slaves in ancient Israel, especially in light of this law against man-stealing, came from debt. Somebody runs up debts to the point where they can't pay them and then is sold into servitude to pay off those debts. That servitude can only last a maximum of six years unless the slave chose to make it permanent. But... Uh, one of you said to me last week, I might have been a debt slave in ancient Israel. Now, I, I, told the, I don't think that's very probable. I think that those who were debt slaves in that economy are the people who would go bankrupt in this economy. So if you've taken out bankruptcy multiple times, there's a good chance that you would have been a debt slave. Anyway, you can think about it in those terms. You are a property owner. You have had this neighbor that you tried to help out, and you loaned him some money, and you loaned him some more money, and he kept getting further and further behind, and finally it got to the place where he sold himself into slavery to you in exchange for his debts. So now, you have this fellow, he's on staff as a slave, you just wrote off, whatever, 8,000 shekels in bad loans to him. And now you're trying to get back as many of the 8,000 shekels as you can from six years of his labor. And the guy is just a mess. He's a terrible employee. He doesn't remember instructions. He consistently damages your property. Uh, just this morning, he let out the goring ox and it got in big trouble. And now you're in trouble with the magistrate. Right? It's easy to spin out a scenario where you have this guy and you've worked with him and worked with him and worked with him and finally it gets to the place where you're just ready to beat the tar out of it. And you warned him, if you don't cooperate, if you don't shape up, if you aren't a little smarter about not breaking stuff, I'm going to beat you. And he doesn't shape up, and so you beat him. This is what's envisioned in verse 20. A man beating his servant or maid servant with a rod, and it gets a little out of hand, and you beat him to death. Now, what is the penalty here? penalty is very vague. It simply says, he shall surely be avenged. Now, if you look at that word avenged through the rest of the Old Testament, it almost always refers to the action of God. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. Nahum 1, for instance. God avenges his people all the time. Almost all the time, then, avenged refers to a gruesome, violent death. To say, the slave shall surely be avenged, the rabbis said, from long since, this verse means that the slave owner who beats the slave to death has to die. Yes, it doesn't say shall surely be put to death, but it's the same thing. You know, whether you take it as definitely death penalty or not, clearly the text is saying 
Masters don't have the power of life and death. There is a legal penalty for killing your slave. However, if he remains alive a day or two, he shall not be punished, for he is his property. And we say, how does that help? That still makes it sound like you have power of life and death over your slave, as long as you beat him within an inch of his life and he lingers for 24 hours or more. So, what can we say about that? Well, first of all, put this law in parallel with the previous law. The previous law talks about two men getting into a fight, and one beats up the other one very savagely, such that he's out of work for a time and has significant medical bills. Right? The slave owner, we could say in a similar way, gets in a fight with the slave, beats him up savagely, puts him out of work for a time, and gives him significant medical bills. Now, the slave owner is already on the hook for the lost time and the medical bills. Right? He's already, just as the owner, definitely paying the civil penalties from this fight. Now, we could say, also think about the previous law, if two men start a fight, and one beats the other badly enough that he dies after two days, is it definitely right to take in the beater-upper and say, you're getting the death penalty? Our instincts tell us that probably just putting someone to death for getting in a fight and getting carried away is not right. That it could be a crime of passion, It could be some variant of second-degree murder. But it probably doesn't deserve the death penalty because it wasn't settled malice and premeditated and so on. So, what can you say? Well, as the previous law indicates, if the slave does recover slightly in the meantime, you can't just assume that the beating caused the death. It may have caused the death. You could even say it's very likely that it caused the death. But, is it beyond a reasonable doubt to say that the beating caused the death? I'm not sure. Second, a couple of laws down is the principle that any permanent injury to a slave results in him going free. Verses 26 and 27. You knock out a guy's eye, he's free. You knock out your slave's tooth, he's free. Which clearly, in other words, is implying any permanent injury. Any loss of a bodily member, even something as small as a tooth, automatically grants freedom. Now, is it possible to beat someone to death without causing any injury, permanent injury, to an eye or a tooth? Probably. You know, and so you could say, if you're the angry slave owner, aha, I found a loophole in the law of God. I can beat my slave to death as long as I do it just right and never knock out a tooth, never knock out an eye, uh, never permanently damage anything except that I somehow beat him to death. What can you say to that? Well, verse 12 still applies. Right? It's the responsibility of the judges applying these laws to discern whether they're dealing with first-degree murder or with a violent accident. If it is murder, then we're back to verse 12. And the law says, slaughter that slave owner without mercy. It's not the case that just because you own the slave, the other laws don't apply. They all apply together. So, God says, justice for the slave, justice for the slave owner. The slave owner doesn't automatically get assumed to be guilty. There has to be 
Well, if the slave recovers for a time, the owner is not punished because he already pays for the loss of his 8,000 shekels and the loss of his slave. So is this precept just? I think we can make a pretty decent case that it can be just. doesn't mean that we would say it should be taken over wholesale into our laws. We don't hold with debt slavery. We believe for some reason that it's more just to imprison people for debt than to make them work. But the law of God says differently. Well, finally, we have laws about uh, or then we move to the basic principle. No, we have one more injury situation. Injury of an innocent bystander. Men fight, hurt a woman who gives birth prematurely, seemingly. No harm follows. Then there's a monetary fine involved. There's restitution for any violent accident, including this one. If you hurt the innocent bystander, whether it's a pregnant woman or anybody else, you have to pay for that hurt. And that payment is as the woman's husband imposes and the judges determine. Right? As an individual, you can say, I want a $500 million settlement. And if the judges say, okay, you can get it. But if the judges say, yeah, that's about a $50,000 settlement right there. That's what you get. God moves from that then directly into the sevenfold law of talion, as it's called in Latin, the law of retribution, Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. What can we say about this? Jesus seems to throw it out the window in Matthew 5 and say, don't do this. He's saying, don't do this in your personal life. Don't say, I'll do to him what he did to me. He, he keyed my car, I'll key his car. Rather, this is the maximum penalty consistent with justice for courtroom use. If you're a judge, this guides you in saying, here's what would be just, life for life. This guy costs the other guy $50,000. Well, he should be required to pay $50,000. So revenge is allotted to the state in its role as guardian of justice or assigned to Christ in his role as judge. You're not supposed to be taking revenge right up to the maximum penalty possible, you're supposed to be showing mercy as a follower of Jesus. <clears throat> Secondly, these can pretty much be converted into a monetary penalty. They can be converted into restitution. Numbers 35 specifically says that capital crimes, the death penalty, can't be converted into a cash settlement leading the rabbis and Christian interpreters after them to say, therefore, every other penalty under the law can be converted into a cash settlement. So, as you can see, of course, God immediately says, if you knock out an eye or a tooth, he doesn't say, you have to have your eye and your tooth knocked out. He says, let the slave go free. Cash settlement. Your tooth is gone, you're free. Your debt is forgiven. Therefore, these are pretty much cash penalties. The judges can determine how much is that tooth worth, how much is that foot worth, how much is that hand worth. Permanent injury frees a slave. We already talked about that. 
all of this relates back to the theme of proportional restitution. What you take is what you have to pay. Finally, we have crimes of negligence. And the first section is negligence that targets human life. If you let your ox gore somebody, the ox shall surely be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten. You waste that entire animal because it killed somebody. It suffers the death penalty in a very symbolic fashion, stoning the ox to death. Obviously, that's an extraordinarily dangerous thing to try to do. But God says, I value human life more than animal life. If an animal kills a human being, kill that animal. And don't use its flesh. Uh, no, there's the death penalty for the animal. If the owner had no idea that the animal was dangerous, the owner is free. But if the owner knew, then the owner gets the death penalty and the animal gets the death penalty. Now, that death penalty, as I mentioned, is automatically commuted to a fine. Verse 30, if there's imposed on him a son of money, he shall pay to redeem his life, whatever is imposed on him. Whether it is gore to son or gore to daughter, according to this judgment, it shall be done. Other ancient Near Eastern law codes say, if your ox gores someone's daughter, we kill your daughter. That'll teach you to let your ox out. If your ox gores someone's son, we kill your son. It'll teach you to let your ox out. God says, no, whether it gores the son or gores the daughter, it is a cash settlement. We don't kill anybody's son or daughter based on the behavior of this rampaging animal. Then we have accidents involving animal life, man versus animal. If a man opens a pit or does something that endangers the life of an animal and the animal falls in and dies, the human being, the man has to pay a fine. The owner of the pit shall make it good. And he gets to buy the animal. Right? He buys a dead animal at a live animal price. And then if one man's ox hurts another's so that it dies, again, animal versus animal, the two animals hurt each other. God says, the two owners divide the live one and the dead one. And they basically share and share alike in that. So, what do we do with all this? We marvel at the justice of God. He does exactly what is perfect and right every time. He looks to the interests of the upper class and the lower class, the slave and the owner, the animal and the guy digging pits. And he says, here's justice, which cuts both ways for everyone. No one is always in the clear and just says, justice always favors me. Justice means I always get vindicated. No, that's not how it works. We're supposed to imitate the justice of God. We're supposed to serve God piously. We're in covenant with God through Christ. That's what the book of the covenant is about. How people in covenant with God should live. That means that we should embrace justice and embrace piety. God has made a covenant with us in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to Israel of old. And we pray that you would apply this word to us. Lord, we don't live in the Bronze Age or the Iron Age. We don't live in ancient Israel. But you are the same God who made these laws. Your character has not changed, even though social conditions on earth 
have changed. We pray, therefore, that you would help us to marvel at your justice and help us to be just like you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, your Son, who took the just penalty so that we could live. Amen.